Hi, Ron here, and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. Welcome. Once again, Today I'd like to explore a passage which is well known, Luke 10, 25-37. And this is one of the short stories which Jesus told, which has a lot of meaning and a lot of depth to it. So let's get into it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, This little story, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. And he came to the place and saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have incurred. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Now, I love this short story. I love this parable. There's so much in it. You could spend a week in this parable and still not get to the bottom of every aspect of it. I've personally preached on it many a times. But today, I want to look at a different aspect which will hopefully really speak to... Our guys on the fringes, our guys who've been struggling, who've had hard times. So let's dive in and see how we go. So one of the things which fascinates me is this road, where it is. It's well known, and it was well known in those times, particularly for being a very violent and dangerous place. 
It was about 800 metres descent and a very rocky road. At one time there was parts of it which were paved, but at this time it was dishevelled and fallen into disarray. Everyone knew it was very dangerous. There was armies which had been disbanded, and a lot of the guys had no real future, so they came to this road because of its easy targets which came along it with bringing things up to the temple. So it was a good place for them to make a career at being a bad guy, basically. It was easy for them to rob people like this poor fella in this tale today. But Jerusalem was a holy city. It was where the temples were. It was a beautiful and well-maintained place. Where Jericho, where the other end of this road was, was rough, was violent. There was gangs. There was a lot of trade there. It was a pretty rough and dangerous place as well. So when we read this story, we see these guys going from somewhere holy, beautiful, and amazing, to somewhere rough, violent, and disheveled. 800 meters down over this rocky terrain. And our guy has been set upon, beaten, his clothes stripped off him, and left for dead. He has been spiritually and physically, and I think probably me mentally, messed up. On every aspect of himself, he's been attacked and left for dead on the side of the road. Now, I want to spend a bit of time with this guy. There's a story which was written which was penned quite some time ago, called The Invisible Man. Um, don't quote me on this. I think it was H.G. Wells who wrote The Invisible Man, but I may be wrong. Um, but one of the lines, one of the things it talks about in the book The Invisible Man is that the man himself cannot be seen. But you can tell he's been there, and you can see him by the destruction and chaos he creates around him, by the things around him which get moved or messed up. And that's the only way to keep track of the invisible man. Now, in today's society, I've been there myself, and I know many of the stories of the guys at Fringe and who hang around the Barack Centre, and again and again, we see these guys who were or still feel like the invisible man. They feel like they're invisible to society, and a lot of times they are. So whether it's a drug addiction or mental health issues or poverty or whatever it is which is going on, society does not see them until the chaos breaks out around them until things hit rock bottom you know multiple generational poverty people and the community does not see them they're invisible until the moment they hit rock bottom to the moment they start stealing from the local servo or whatever it is and that chaos is what brings attention to them how often do people in our society feel like the invisible man they're only visible 
with the chaos they create around them. When they're trying to dig out or be noticed or change their ways is the only time we see them. Now, the man beaten on the side of the road is an invisible man. He's left there. The only reason they recognize him is because he's been attacked, because he's bloody and left for dead on the side of the road. He is the invisible man. And we have, coming down the road, our, our three guys. First, a priest. Now, one thing I want to say is that this is different. It's not a priest as what you'd think of today. So a priest at this time is an inherited position. This guy is a priest because his father was a priest and probably his father's father. And it has been handed down from generation to generation. This is not... um, So, for example, when Christ is captured and brought to the Sanhedrin to be trialed. He's brought towards a high priest. The high priest is different. Now, that's something different again. But this time we're told a priest. So, not particularly a religious man. We don't know. He might be, but a priest. It's an inherited position. He's coming down the road. Really doesn't see our invisible man. He does not see this guy. He walks around him. And leaves him there. Now, in the past, I've preached about this and how the priest, through all the codes of conduct and conditions of his religious beliefs and the processes, that he couldn't have actually touched the man because it would have made him unclean. And on his way into the temple, he could not be unclean. But this is wrong. Because as we read it, he is actually going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he comes across this man. There is no reason why he should not stop and help this bloke who's left for dead on the side of the road. But he does not. He walks by him, crosses the street to the other side to avoid this invisible man who is now visible because of the condition he is in. And then we have a Levite who's coming down who does the same. So instead of taking compassion and love on this man who has been left for dead, he crosses the street. He gives him a wide berth. He can see him because of the drama and the chaos around him. But he leaves him there without showing compassion. Crosses the street. Walks away. How many times in the middle of the city do you see the same thing where someone is homeless or struggling or mental health issues or something going on and people consistently cross the streets they don't have to walk past them try and avoid them try and ignore them try and keep them the invisible man instead of engaging but our poor guy has been stripped and beaten and left for dead spiritually physically emotionally mentally destroyed and left for dead our invisible man so then we have our third guy our good Samaritan now what you've got to see is what a Samaritan was in those times they were pretty well despised particularly by priests or Levites Um, they would actually walk for days to go around a Samaritan village instead of going through it because a Samaritan was considered 
the lowest of the low. He was despised by pretty much all aspects of life. See, the Samaritans were a throwback to a worse time, I guess. The Samaritans were actually uh, forced to be created. They were they were coming from a culture where, in a war, in a time of trouble, there was actually forced by the ruling class that they would not be able to marry within themselves, and they had to marry outside themselves. So there was a, a lot of, um, I guess, interbreeding of these cultures, which then created this outcast society, which was the Samaritans. So they reminded people of a much worse time, and they were cast out, and they formed little communities of themselves. But the Samaritans were the lowly. Now, the connection I want to draw is when I read this parable, when I see this Samaritan, when I see his actions and what he does, it reminds me of Christ. Now, don't get up in arms. Because Christ, if we remember, if we look at the time when he was, he was from an oppressed community. Christ was from a a little place. Uh, he was almost one of those invisible people, but through all the things which he was put up against. Now, there were so many people under this oppressive Roman Empire. So many invisible people. We keep thinking in today's society that how we vote or our politicians will fix the problems. Well, I hate to tell you this, but these invisible people is a social problem. It is a problem for all society, and it's going to take all society to change it and make impact on it. And when I read this scripture, I see Jesus the Liberator. I see him as that Samaritan. Christ the Liberator. So picture this. What do we see in this story? We see a man, who I look at as Christ, walking down, who sees our invisible guy, our invisible man, beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. What does he do? He stops. He spends time with him. He cleans his wounds with oil and with wine. He puts him on his own beast. He puts him on his own donkey. And he carries him down the road to the inn. And when he gets to the inn, what does he do? He pays the price for this man who's been going from somewhere holy to somewhere rough and rugged and has fallen on the road, has been beaten and left for dead. But Christ picks him up and carries him to the inn and pays the cost for this man to stay there and be looked after. But it doesn't end there. What he does next is he tells the innkeeper 
if you're out of pocket, look after this man. And if there is more cost to this, if there is more problems, which I do not particularly perceive at this moment, if something goes wrong, you fix it. I'll be back. And I will pay the cost for this man again. Now that sounds like Christ to me. And it's what is available to every invisible man who's stuck there on the side of the road for all of us that love and compassion. And through this tale, Christ is inviting us to do the same. How often has our churches cast aside a stranger for the comfort of the congregation so that there's no interruption from someone who's struggling with mental ill health or drug addiction. We were once the church, the face of Jesus to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the mentally ill, and we would say to them, come. We would invite them to our tables. There was always a place for someone else at the table of the Lord in our churches. We need to get the idols of fear out of our churches again. We need to deny the fear. And we need to stand with Christ and proclaim, I see you, the invisible man. And I proclaim life and truth and repentance. And I will not stand for this radical evil. Not today. Not today. See, if you want to make a difference in this world, start looking for the invisible man. Get out of the mindset that church is just some Sunday thing we do. And start to stand with Jesus and resist. Resist war. Resist racism. Resist the invisibility of these groups in society. Whatever that is, whether it's, you'll have your own, if you look around, you'll see the invisible people. Whether it's LGBTI community, mental health, people coming out of prison, uh, generational poverty, addiction issues. There's so much out there which our society does not look at until the chaos comes from that situation. If you take the time and stop and ask Christ, you will see something for yourself. So resist. Resist. And look for these people and love them like Christ is inviting us to here. Lord, I ask you to take the blinkers off our eyes, to see the world for what it is, to feel your heart for these people who we can so easily cross the road to avoid. Find us ways to reach them. Help us find ways to love them, to cherish them, to help them before the chaos hits. Find a way, help us find a way for society to help people 
before they need it. And thank you, Lord, that you're always there. <clears throat> no matter how many times we fall on the side of the road, get beaten up or are left naked, you were there to carry us to the inn and to come back and pay the cost again and again and again for every time we mess up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to another and episode. thank you for and listening for another Don't day. forget to sign up to the BarackCenter.com or TheFringeChurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.